Letter 34 of Clarissa or the History of a Young Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Gillam, Betty's Bledrews, Lampeter, Wales. Clarissa Harlowe by Samuel Richardson. Letter 34. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, Friday, March the 17th. I receive with great pleasure the early and cheerful assurances of your loyalty and love, and let our principal and most trusty friends, named in my last, know that I do. I would have thee, Jack, come down, as soon as thy canst. I believe I shall not want the others so soon, yet they may come down to Lord M's. I will be there, if not to receive them, to satisfy my lord that there is no new mischief in hand which will require his second intervention. For thyself thou must be constantly with me, not for my security, the family dare do nothing but bully, they bark only at a distance, but for my entertainment, that thou mayest, from the Latin and the English classics, keep my lovesick soul from drooping. Thou hadst best come to me here in thy old corporal's coat, thy servant out of livery, and to be upon a familiar footing with me, as a distant relation, to be vided for by thy interest above. I mean not in heaven, thou mayest be sure. Thou wilt find me at a little alehouse, they call it an inn, the white heart, most terribly wounded, but by the weather only, the sign, in a sorry village within five miles from Harlow Place. Everybody knows Harlow Place, for like Versailles it is sprung up from a dunghill, within every elderly person's remembrance. Every poor body particularly knows it, but that only for a few years past, since a certain angel has appeared there among the sons and daughters of men. The people here at the heart are poor but honest, and have gotten it into their hearts and heads that I am a person of quality in disguise, and there is no reigning in their officious respect. Here is a pretty little smirking daughter, seventeen six days ago. I call her my rosebud. Her grandmother, for there is no mother, a good, neat old woman, as ever filled a wicker chair in a chimney-corner, has besought me to be merciful to her. This is the right way with me. Many and many a pretty rogue had I spared, whom I did not spare, had my power been acknowledged, and my mercy in time implored. But— the del barare superbos should be my motto, were I to have a new one. This simple chit, for there is a simplicity in her, thou wouldst be highly pleased with, all humble, all officious, all innocent. I love her for her humility, her officiousness, and even for her innocence. Will be pretty amusement to thee, while I combat with the weather, and dodge and creep about the walls and purlieu of Howlow Place, thou wilt see in her mind all that her superiors have been taught to conceal, in order to render themselves less natural, and of consequence less pleasing. But I charge thee that thou do not, what I would not permit myself to do for the world, I charge thee that thou do not crop my rosebud. She is the only flower of fragrance that has blown is this vicinage for ten years past, or will for ten years to come, for I have looked backward to the have-beens, 
and forward to the Wilbys, having but too much leisure upon my hands in my present waiting. I was never honest, so honest, for so long together since my matriculation. It behoves me so to be. Some way or other, my recess in this little inn may be found out, and it will be then be thought that my rosebud has attracted me. A report in my favour from simplicities so amiable may establish me, for the grandmother's relation to my rosebud may be sworn to, and the father is an honest poor man, has no joy but in his rosebud. O oh, Jack, spare thou therefore, for I shall leave thee often with her. Spare thou my rosebud. Let the rule I never departed from, but it cost me a long regret, be observed to my rosebud, never to ruin a poor girl, whose simplicity and innocence were all she had to trust to, and whose fortunes were too low to save her from the rude contempts of worse minds than her own, and from an indigent extreme. Such a one will only pine in secret, and at last, in order to refuge herself from slanderous tongues and virulence, be induced to tempt some guilty stream, or seek to end her in the knee-encircling garter that peradventure was the first attempt of abandoned love. No defiances will my rosebud breathe, no self-dependent thee-doubting watchfulnesses, indirectly challenging thy inventive machinations to do their worst. Will she assume, unsuspicious of her danger, the lamb's throat will hardly shun thy knife, O oh, be not thou the butcher of my lambkin. The less thou be so, for the reason I am going to give thee. The gentle heart is touched by love. Her soft bosom heaves with a passion she has not yet found a name for. I once caught her eye following a young carpenter, a widow neighbour's son, living, to speak in her dialect, at the little white house over the way. A gentle youth he also seems to be, about three years older than herself, playmates from infancy till his eighteenth and her fifteenth year furnished a lesion for a greater distance in show, while their hearts gave a better for their being nearer than ever. For I soon perceived the love reciprocal. A scrape and a bow at first seeing his pretty mistress, turning often to salute her following eye, and when the winding lane was to deprive him of her sight, his whole body turned round, his hat more reverently doffed than before. This answered, for unseen I was behind her, by a low courtesy and a sigh, that Johnny was too far off to hear. Happy whelp, said I to myself. I withdrew, and in tripped my rosebud, as if it satisfied with a dumb show, and wishing nothing beyond it. I have examined the little heart. She has made me her confidant. She owns she could love Johnny Barton very well, and Johnny Barton has told her he could love her better than any maiden he ever saw, but, alas, it must not be thought of. Why not thought of? She don't know. And then she sighed. But Johnny has an aunt who will give him an hundred pounds when his time is out, and her father cannot give her but a few things, or so, to set her out with. And though Johnny's mother said she knows not where Johnny would have a prettier or a notabler wife, yet and then she sighed again what signifies talking i would not have johnny be unhappy and poor for me for what good would that do me you know sir what would i give by my soul 
My angel will indeed reform me if her friend's implacable folly ruins us not both. What would I give to have so innocent and so good a heart as either my rosebuds or Johnny's? I have a confounded mischievous one by nature too, I think, a good notion, now and then rises from it, but it dies away presently, a love of intrigue, an invention for mischief, a triumph in subduing, fortune encouraging and supporting, and a constitution, what signifies? palliation. I do believe I had been a rogue had I been a ploughboy. But the devil's in this sex, eternal misguiders, who that has once trespassed with them ever recovered his virtue, and yet where there is not virtue, which nevertheless we free livers are continually plotting to destroy, what is there even in the ultimate of our wishes with them? Preparation and expectation is in a manner everything. Reflection, indeed, may be something if the mind be hardened above feeling the guilt of a past trespass. But the fruition, what is there in that? And yet that being the end, nature will not be satisfied without it. See what grave reflections an innocent subject will produce. It gives me some pleasure to think that it is not out of my power to reform. But then, Jack, I am afraid I must keep better company than I do at present, for we certainly harden one another. But be not cast down, my boy. There will be time enough to give the whole fraternity warning to choose another leader, and I fancy thou wilt be the man. Meantime, as I make it my rule, whenever I have committed a, great, a very capital enormity, to do some good by way of atonement, and as I believe I am a pretty deal indebted on that score, I intend, before I leave these parts, successfully shall I leave them, I hope, or I shall be tempted to double the mischief by way of revenge, though not to my rosebud any, to join a hundred pounds to Johnny's aunt's hundred pounds, to make one innocent couple handy. I repeat, therefore, and half a dozen more, therefores, spare thou my rosebud. In interruption, another letter anon, and both shall go together. End of letter 34